Welcome to The Lead, a podcast of law enforcement stories told to you by law enforcement officers. I'm Anthony Rodriguez. And I am Fatima Simichi. And together, we work for the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, Media Relations Department. Our job is to find creative ways to reach our community. And today, we'll be talking to Detective Cockburn from the Cold Case Unit. And some of you who have listened to our podcast in the past know that we cover pretty heinous cases that we haven't solved yet. And today we're going to do a little bit of a change and talk about some cold cases with our cold case detective. But these cases are particularly interesting because they are people who have been killed, but we still have not identified the victim. So welcome back to The Lead. We are joined here again by our Cold case detective, Detective John Cogburn. Thank you for uh, being with us today and yes, talking good, about another case. Good morning. Yes, thank you. So uh, as we were talking about in the last episode, we are covering cases that we know for sure they're homicides, but we have not identified the victim. Correct. And you talked about in length about how many cases you have and kind of the process of uh, what you go through to... Uh, to, to solve these cases. So uh, we started a, a mini documentary called The Nameless, and you can check that out on our YouTube channel. And in the second episode of that mini documentary, we touched upon a, a gentleman who we found, and that's who we're going to talk about today. Correct. From to, uh, 2018, a case from 2018. Tell me about this John Doe. Okay. Yeah. So, so our detectives uh, and our, our our patrol guys initially responded out to an area that we would call uh, another agricultural area way out in the western community of uh, Belle Glade, Florida, where uh, some workers out in the fields had discovered a body floating in a canal. Um, after they re- uh, found the body in the canal, the sheriff's office was called, which triggered detectives to be called out to the scene. At the same time, um, this area is another, uh, I would say, uh, western region. It would be south of the South Bay area in the and uh, um, just open fields and agriculture. Not a lot of uh, residential communities. A lot and of maybe sugar- a highway in between. Okay, yeah. and and in this road, you know, there's sugarcane fields. I've driven there many times, and it's just it's almost all inspiring. Looking at all these. It's just know, open fields, open of, fields, and there's little access points. Some are gated, some are not, mm-hmm. which you can get into the fields and maneuver. But there's basically nobody around. Correct. Anybody that's there is probably going to be traveling in, through on mm-hmm. one of the main highways, like US 27. They're going to just be going north and south, mm-hmm. um, traveling, or they're going to be working in the fields and stuff like that, and kind of uh, you know doing their little farm work in that area. It's very isolated. So as a cold case detective working on all these cases, how many how many bodies have we found in those cases throughout the years? I would say that that area is very popular because it's 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 on a main highway, one. And two, you get out there at two in the morning, depending on like now, it might be different. But uh, years ago, it's going to be pitch black. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any moon out there, you're not even going to be able to see your hand in front of your face. So uh, I would say it's very advantageous to be alone and uh, not bothered or, you know, not seen. If you kind of get on one of these little access little roads that go into the uh, canals and into the uh, fields, mm-hmm. maneuvering around the fields that the farmers are traditionally using with their trucks and 
equipment. I know you came up to me one time and uh, talked about creating a map so we can pinpoint all of the locations where we have found um, people who have been... Uh, yeah, that's one of the things we want to work on. So right. we can kind of see geographically where all of these people wound up and, and we can almost, you can kind of track people in a timeline. So for, for my caseload from, from, I would say from the unidentified, I think we have cases back from 1974 until present. So what I want to do at some point is have all these cases populated into a little navigating website Mm -hmm. that'll give someone the ability to go onto each of these bulletins, look at the case and see it. And I remember uh, you had already populated some on a map, and it was just a cluster of uh, different cases that have been on this road specifically. Right, and that's yeah, and that there there are several along that uh, roadway. So that's where I came up with the idea. I started playing with Google Earth mm-hmm. and Google Earth Pro just to see if it could be done. And once I found out it could be done, I said, "I'm going to call Anthony because he can do this a lot better <laughs> than me." But I know that the basics could be done. Right. You know what I mean? With maybe kind of like a little pin drop. Right. But then getting all the other stuff in there was kind of like out of my wheelhouse. That's why. But it was so interesting <laughs> to see that in this yeah. particular area. I mean, so we're the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. Correct. We uh, have one of the largest land jurisdiction Correct. out there. Uh, and it we, we have from the very, very rich to the very, very poor. And they're hundreds of miles of radius in between. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. They say, and this is what I've heard from the day one that I've worked at the Sheriff's Office, that Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office covers the equivalent of the state of Rhode Island. Wow. And I learned, you know, as a detective, you know, assigned to the county, that it's different. As a patrolman, you're in a district. Mm-hmm. So you have a little three, seven-mile jurisdiction that you may cover. As a detective, you're covering the entire county. So for us, for Palm Beach County, you may be driving 45 minutes or an hour Mm -hmm. to get to a scene, depending on where you are when it goes out and how you get to that scene. So for this area, this is kind of our western region of the county. So it's it's primarily agricultural, very sparse. There may Mm -hmm. be a town, Belle Glade, South Bay, little pockets of cities, but but these areas are, are pretty much farmland. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, if you fly over it in a helicopter or an airplane and you just see the the, the vast amount of, of land there, mm-hmm. you know, there's just a lot of it. But as you get towards the middle and you start getting to these densely populated areas in the county, as you get closer to the east coast, that's where everybody is. Mm-hmm. But as you go west, it kind of, uh, it, it gets to more of a rural, mm-hmm. you know, outlook for the county. So that's where our our John Doe was was located. Yes. I believe it was a crop duster that came in uh, I believe so yeah or, or somebody was spraying, was spraying at the time. they were spraying yeah, they were right. spraying. So when when they found the remains I would say this is a route that is is I would say from Miami, Broward, Palm Beach up to Tampa is kind of a back route for the county. Mm-hmm. The main thoroughfare, the main highway, that's the route you could take. So um if someone is traveling those routes, you know what I mean. That would, you know, they're gonna, they could be coming from Tampa all the way down to the Keys, mm-hmm. essentially in that back route mm-hmm. instead of taking I ninety five, which would be the eastern route. So, um, but um, these cane fields and stuff like that, it's not uncommon. Like we talked about, once we get this map populated, you'll see that over the years, it's kind of been a popular area. Just 
I think because of the geography. Right. It's not like there's a CVS right there and whatever. You know what right. I mean? There's there's just nothing there. So it's been advantageous for people to to dump bodies there, mm. unfortunately. So with this gentleman, um, he was found floating in the canal. Initially, when the uh, the detectives responded to the scene and found him, they have to pull him out of the canal. As they start processing his body, they see that he's been shot multiple mm. times. So at that point in time, it's going to be considered as a homicide, obviously, just because of the scene conditions and the body and things of that nature. There's times where we don't know. We just have a body in the canal, and there's no outward trauma mm -hmm. to the body. It's just a body floating in the canal. Um, he was a Hispanic male, so um, at the time, the investigation was centered around that area. There's a very, very large population of, of the Hispanic community that work in the fields, mm -hmm. and they have little communities throughout that area. So uh, we're going to start close and then just start going out, expanding out. outward, expanding outward and stuff like that. So um, what we were able to do, he was fairly fresh. So, I mean, he wasn't decomposed or anything like that. So you can kind of start working your timeline on knowing that whatever happened to him happened to him close. Recently from, yeah, from the time was, of discovery. Was, correct. So um, what we knew from the medical examiner is they give us an age range of 18 to 25. Mm, young kid. So we know he's young. Um they said he was about five foot five, 150 pounds around mm -hmm. that. And we were able to uh, reconstruct his appearance with our artists. That, with our forensic. That we've, we've, yeah, yeah. we've spoken about them on the uh, um, other podcasts. So we were also able to kind of like try to decipher these tattoos because he's got three fairly unique tattoos. Mm -hmm. And I would say with tattoos, sometimes they tell us things. Mm -hmm. So with one of the tattoos, he's got Joanna on, I believe, his left forearm he's got joanna written in the... it's written in kind of like a cursive right. form okay so uh what that means and who that is could it be a kid a girlfriend a mother mm -hmm. a loved one of some sort um then he's got another tattoo of jackie as well on his left kind of web between his thumb mm -hmm. and pointer finger can we spell both names yeah so so joanna was spelled j-o-a-n-n-a and Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E. Then he had the tattoo of kind of like it was a, uh, on his right hand was a, 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 a like almost a spade on a, a ace of spades card mm -hmm. on his uh, on his right hand that uh, was a pretty unique tattoo. If you knew this kid, you know what I mean? You would know he had the tattoo on his hand. Just like if you knew grandma had this unique ruby ring she wore on her pinky all the right. time. You know what I mean? You can't know him without knowing that he has a spade at least on the top of his... Right. Uh, was it his right hand? Uh, yeah, it looks like his left... Yeah, the right hand had the spade and then the left hand had the two name tattoos on it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And um, with him, you know what I mean? We also knew more than likely he's Catholic because he had a rosary. He had a white rosary, a Catholic rosary around his neck. The symbolism of that could mean, you know, more than likely some religious, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, connection of sorts. He was just generally, uh, I think he was wearing a hoodie, like a camouflage shirt. It didn't look like, based on the scene, that the shooting happened there. So there is a chance that uh, 
with this case that this happened somewhere else mm. and that his body was dumped there. Once mm. again, the body so, being dumped. Yeah. So what we'll do is we have a couple options with these cases. We can do, we can take the old traditional metal detecting to look for expended casings to mm-hmm. see if he was shot right there. We can take our, our firearms dogs to look around and mm-hmm. see and, and have them sweep the area to see if, hey, he may be floating right here. But this canal is 100 yards or two miles long. We don't know where he could have dropped. Right. But you have to ask also the uh, locals. It's mm-hmm. kind of like the ocean. If we have a body floating in the ocean or something like that, we'll consult the Coast Guard mm. or whoever and find out what the wind charts were saying, what the seas were doing. You know what I mean? Some of these canals float a different way depending on how the water's coming into them. Right. So. So we try to do our best to determine, hey, did it happen here? Mm-hmm. You know, but with a body of water, sometimes there's a lot of unknowns. You know, he was thrown in the canal, but mm-hmm. at what point you may not know. Right. That's where this case is for right now. So now he, this is a pretty fresh case. It was Correct. 2018. Correct. Uh, what would what would kind of be the next steps uh, to finding out who he is, where he comes from? Yeah, so for the next the next steps is he's going to be circulating in our in the DNA database. Mm. So he will his his DNA will be circulating within the family re, uh, reference samples, the mm-hmm. offender database, trying to see if there's any connection whatsoever to him. Mm-hmm. Um, next steps will probably be some kind of uh, forensic um, genealogy mm-hmm. on him to find out what his origins are or who he is. Right, and a lot of people that you know, listen to this podcast might have my question, what, what do we do with the body once we find them? Uh, you know, do we, is there a place where we bury them? It, obviously you have to keep some DNA so that you can later do genealogy or any other advancement in that kind of technology where you need to keep something. Right. And I can tell you from my, over the years, so, so insofar as homicide, over, I have over 20 years in homicide. So I've seen through the years, um, for, our homicide cases, by law, the body is belongs to the medical examiner. Mm-hmm. So the medical examiner is charged with maintaining the body, giving us a cause and manner of death. And then if they need to do any burials or kind of organize the burials with the families, they'll do those things. Got it. With the unidentified remains, they generally, I would say, most of the time maintain and keep the remains at the medical examiner's office. Mm-hmm. There have been cases where the bodies have been buried. And they, uh, the Palm Beach County has a site where they can bury the remains in a site. I would say that it just depends. Over the years, it kind of changes. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like it's not really rigid that mm-hmm. they're just going to automatically hold on to the remains. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to come down to the chief medical examiner. Their decision. Do they have enough room there right. for this many bodies and these things and stuff like that? But I would say for the most part, what I've found is we can locate most of our remains. I would say on most of the cases, I know one of the cases we want to do in the, in the near future from 1982, we have the remains mm. at the medical examiner. So what I've found is there's been a few that have been buried, and it could have been because of the investigation conflicts somehow or communication conflicts. But most of the time, the medical examiner will retain the remains. I would say maybe in jurisdictions where they have a high, high volume, bigger cities and towns, they may just automatically bury them mm. in an unidentified site. But you'll be able to locate the site. And there's always a the DNA sequence is kept somehow so that you can later use it for different technologies. Right. So what happens is is we'll, we'll take either a tissue sample or something like mm. that or a bone or something like that or whatever they do the extraction from mm. 
So whatever sample that they took from that person, mm -hmm. they'll have that in evidence, Got either it. in a freezer or they'll have the DNA sequence. Once they get this DNA mathematical little number, that's pretty much it. Got it. You know, and, and, and that's that's how DNA works. DNA is basically kind of like a numbers game. So whatever little serial code they have for them, that's the code they're going to go with. Mm. For this particular case, we know he's Hispanic, but did we find out more or less what country? He Not yet. So we, if we did, if we did genealogy on that, it could give mm -hmm. us a better understanding of maybe where he, he would be from. Mm -hmm. Uh, sometimes with the tattoos, these tattoos aren't giving us much. It's kind of unique to himself. So whatever tattoos he has with Joanna and Jackie, you know what I mean? What roles and what associations do they have with him? He, he obviously cared for these people enough to, to get a tattoo, meaning that, you know, these people out there um, may know that someone is missing I don't know about you, but if, if someone gets a tattoo of me, I would know them pretty well. Right. Yeah. Um, you know what I think? Um, also, there's a, a large Hispanic community that are working here, but that whose families are in other countries. Correct. So not necessarily that, that this lady, Johanna or Jackie, might not have heard of it, but maybe they're outside of the country. They could be. No, they, they absolutely could be. And I know th there are means. We, we, we try to exhaust everything. I mean, uh, we know that like with, the, with, with, if we believe they're possibly Mexican, let's say this guy's in his 18s or 20s, um, Mexico had uh, a database of their, any of their soldiers or any of their military that they have fingerprints on and stuff like that. Sometimes we can run this through mm. Department of State, through them to see if they pop up there, if we think he's from Mexico. Um, there's uh, some countries, like I think it's, what is it? They have to do a two-year military commitment in Mexico or something. So right. you're, you're going to see some of the young youth, some of these young guys may have served in the military if they were conscripted. And if so, they have some sort of database on They them may have the fingerprints in that database. Right. There's, and, um, there's a, there's, um, and then, of course, we have the, um, the, the fingerprint database, APHIS, for us, mm -hmm. that will run those things through. So those are the first things that happen. We run the fingerprints. Um, if we don't get any hits or results or anything like that, we put out the bulletins if we can, and then we get the picture constructed. And then I would say the DNA can get done um, within six months or so. Mm. It just depends right now. Um, it used to be the process where the unidentified remains would go to the University of Texas because they had a Department of Justice or NIJ grant, National Institute of Justice grant mm -hmm. to do the uh, – the DNA. Mm. Now, uh, I think that's kind of changed. So now it's kind of dependent on the Florida Department of Law Enforcement or our DNA lab here in Palm Beach County to get the DNA done mm. and put into the system. So it's uh, we're in transition right now from mm. that uh, traditional system where it would go to one central location to Texas and then uh, be entered and put in. So now we're kind of uh, on our own now. But it's still going into the same database. Same database, yeah. right. Okay, good. Well, if anybody is curious about how this gentleman looks like, uh, please, uh, we encourage everybody to go on our website, uh, pbso.org, or you can just search up the Nameless documentary. Uh, this is episode two. Uh, please take a look, and if, if you can, share this information with whoever you can uh, so that we can uh, generate some tips from it. 
Anything else you want to say? No, that's it. Anybody that has any interest or information or thinks they have information, don't hesitate to call. Uh, my email address is Cogburn, C-O-G-B-U-R-N-J, at pbso.org. And my phone is 561-688-4063. Great. Thank you for being here.